You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me soon will be Jonathan Havercroft. We're, we're doing something a little different today. Uh, you're about to hear some strange voices uh, that you usually don't hear on our show, but uh, we recently did a special live stream with the guys from the Game of Stones podcast, Sean Graham and Scott Graham. And we were joined by a professional screenwriter, a friend of Jonathan's named Faisal Lechmedial. And he listened to our pitches for curling movies. We've, you know, ever since, uh, Ever since uh, COVID kind of forced us all into our homes uh, a few months ago, we started doing these live streams with Sean and Scott, just, you know, fun sessions where we would talk about anything and everything, usually sports, sometimes curling. Uh, But a couple of weeks ago, we did a live stream where we went through movie pitches and Sean Graham decided to take it a step further and said, okay, we'll have someone judge these movie pitches and whichever one is the best one, he's going to send it into the National Film Board of Canada so that it can be roundly rejected. Uh, but we did have fun. Uh, it was it was great talking with Faisal uh, to learn kind of you know what, what you really need to focus on when it comes to uh, thinking about a movie. And so some really cool things to think about the next time that you're watching a sport, any movie, uh, particularly sports movies, or even Men with Brooms, keep some of the things that Faisal has to say uh, in mind. But this was a blast. Uh, so you're, you're about to hear the recording of that live stream. Um, go over and subscribe to Game of Stones podcast. Um, they have fun. Um, they they release an episode about once a week. And, and join us on most Mondays. We, we tend to take holidays off. But join us on most Mondays at the Game of Stones podcast Facebook page where we do live video and just have fun and, you know, do what we can to get through a Monday. So thank you all for listening and uh, enjoy our curling movie madness. All right. We are live from everywhere from Ottawa, Montreal, Richmond, Virginia, and uh, Toronto. Special guest today, Faisal, you are a screenwriter and you are here to tell us how terrible our curling movie ideas are. Or maybe there might be a good one. I don't know. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll, I'll help you be able to also help you elevate them into not terrible ideas. Yes, ho- hopefully. So uh, before we get into some of these ideas, I wanted to ask you, because you are a screenwriter, you know how these things are supposed to work. So what what is the key to creating a good movie and creating a good script? Like how much is it the idea, the original idea versus, say, the dialogue? Well, there, I mean, that's a it's a hard question to answer for what makes a good screenplay like like if you're just looking at just the screenplay because there's so much that happens between 
when it's a screenplay to when it gets actually made and then put to screen. Um, but I think, I mean, to answer your question, I guess the idea is really important. Having a, um, a, a unique, interesting concept is great. Um, but in my opinion, that's only the very, very first step. It's the, the actual fleshing out that idea and creating something interesting um, that is that is unique in, in all of its elements. I think that's really where, that's the hard part. That's where you're, you're making something that people are going to take notice of. So basically you can have a really good idea that you ruin through a bad script? Absolutely. Like yeah, absolutely. I've seen it. I mean, I, you've probably seen it a, a hundred times. I mean... <laughs> There's lots of films where you're like, oh, wait, that sounds like a really great idea. And then you watch it and it's not, <laughs> you know, it's it's terrible. Or and sometimes this happens, too. It's it's more rare where there's a um, there's a concept that seems ordinary. You're like, oh, well, I just I heard that. I, I think I feel like I've seen that film before. But then you watch it and you're like, oh, this was actually really engaging. And it's you know, it could be um, because of a host of different things. Okay, yeah, I'm a Star Wars fan, so I've seen the script ruin the concept six times. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so that that's what I want to ask though is like, why does so much stuff that to me like a Star Wars that can feel so formulaic, like why does that tend to get made? Well, I mean, uh, let's let's first be frank. Like that's a that's a whole lo different level than where I'm at, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, this—that's kind of Star Wars money is is way beyond me. Um, but I can say that when things are made, and especially I think as things the budget levels increase, is that there are more people in between giving you notes and trying to you know add their voice into what's going on. And things tend to become more formulaic because of that. And it doesn't necessarily mean the case that that's going to be what happens. But because there's so much money and so much money is at stake, um, I feel like uh, big production companies, distributors, etc., they'll generally make the safe choice, right? So it's because they're they're worried if you're putting 250 million dollars, let's say, on into a movie, on on top of a marketing cost. Then you're like, we gotta make the safest movie possible because we don't want it to be, um, we don't want it to bomb. We don't want it to, you know, to lose so much money. So I think that that's probably the biggest reason. Okay. That's why bands don't make experimental albums anymore, except for Kanye. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, good. well, he has fu money, so like, it yes, doesn't matter, so right? he can make <laughs> experimental <laughs> albums. Yeah. <laughs> So now you, you've written a lot of stuff for uh, Canadian audiences. Do you think that curling as an idea lends itself to interesting movie ideas, not only for a Canadian audience, but perhaps for an international audience as well? Okay. So for, uh, I, again, um, a uh, admission is that I, know very little about curling so i find it hysterical that i'm part of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, although i've known jonathan for quite a quite many years um but um i i think that anything like any interesting subject matter especially a subject matter that a lot of people don't know a lot about i think that can can make a very compelling film because it's 
you know, the, the actual mechanics of anything, like any kind of sports film, the, the mechanics of the sport are very rarely the most interesting part of a sports movie. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if you think of any sports movie for any any subject, it's rarely the, you know, like, oh, wow, do you see him, you know, hit that home run or score that goal or make that hoop? It's like that's the maybe that's the climax and you see that moment. But it's more it's that person mm-hmm. that, you know, threw that ball or shot that puck or hit that ball. So it's it's like that's the more important thing and what it means to them and what it means to their family, let's say, or their loved ones and all the people around them. It's like that's I think really much more important and so curling well why not it's interesting it's kind of you know a lot of people don't understand it um you know they they may not know the rules but they've maybe seen it at the olympics like it's got especially depending on what country you're at right so i think that there's a lot of um i think that it could it could lend itself to a really interesting film could would curling have worked if they had replaced dodgeball with curling in the movie Dodgeball. Um, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't tell you that. I, you know, I was thinking the exact same thing, Ryan. I was like, I want to make dodgeball, but with curling. Isn't that called Men with Brooms? Yeah. An, an old guy who used to be really good at the sport is coming back with the younger guys as like a redemption story. Isn't that basically the same movie? Well, so are you saying are you saying that dodgeball copied men with brooms? <laughs> they just cut out they just cut out the astronaut sister love triangle thing, and yeah, it's the same movie. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. All right, so we have some ideas of curling-based movies that we're going to run by you that we're going to pitch, okay. and given your experience not only as a, a screenwriter but also in just getting things developed you can tell us how likely it is that this is a feasible idea. And if at the end of our time, we have an idea that is mildly feasible, I will fill out all the forms for the National Film Board (laughs) and send it in uh, to see what they say, because they have challenged us to do so. And uh, I will not just let that I will just not let that pass, right? I will Challenge accepted is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, bring it on, NFB. You don't scare me. <laughs> so, uh, so all right. So who wants to go first? Who, who well, has... Actually, you know what? Before before we get go on, I just want to clarify what feasible means. <laughs> <laughs> We're defining feasible. feasible. A lot of different things. <laughs> um, yeah, so what, what in your mind, what does feasible mean? Something that... Uh, Something that a, a group like the National Film Board would give us money for. Okay. Could conceivably want to pay to produce. Okay. All right, so I'm so so mine is out. <laughs> <laughs> I saw what yours was, and yeah, maybe. <laughs> but you should pitch it anyway. I I okay. So what I'll do is I'll keep in mind, let's say a Canadian budget level, ish, which is you know kind of lower lower budget level for the world. And uh, and then something that NFB might support in some way. Yeah. What what is a rough approximation of of what a Canadian an independent Canadian film would cost? Independent roughly? Canadian films are um, like let's say if if it's coming from a veteran filmmaker, would be five to like let's say five million, something okay. like that. Like like that would be average. Some there there are films that have been made in Canada that have been that have cost more, like around 10, but that's very rare. 
um, because the funding just isn't it isn't there for it. If it's unless it's um, it's uh, not public money, but more private money, and that's usually just kind of a Hollywood film anyway. Right. Um, so if it's coming from uh, Telefilm, which kind of they're the main people who give money to films in Canada, Telefilm or the the different provincial organizations. So in Ontario, um, it's uh, Ontario Creates. Um, in Quebec, it is Sodec, and there's 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 different organizations that give money as well. I'd say anywhere from two to five. Let's say two to five million would be realistic. Okay. How much money would we save if we agreed to do all of the curling stunts ourselves? So we wouldn't have to pay <laughs> professional curlers for the stunts. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I could say give you a professional opinion. <laughs> I'm sure you could save something, but it might be negligible in the full budget. <laughs> all right. So Ryan, you have an idea that you don't think falls into this feasible category. Uh, yes, I do. All right, let's let's start with it then. Sure. Uh, all right. So here is here is my film pitch, um, and I was you know asked to asked to think about genre and asked to think about you know things beyond uh, beyond the sports aspect as I was coming up with this. Um, so here we go. The year is 2040, and the world has been invaded by aliens. This is a comedy. The aliens are clear, clearly superior to us in all ways and could easily colonize us. However, they give us the same deal that they give to every planet that they colonize. They will randomly select one piece of our popular culture. And if we prove that the invaders are not better than us at it, we can go about our merry way. However, no planet has ever defeated the aliens at this. Remarkably, the winter sport of curling is selected. The aliens give humans two weeks to select their team of two men and two women to compete against them. Immediately, humans argue over who should be the ones to compete. The Canadians are all incredibly arrogant jerks who think that their four best players should be the ones to play the aliens. However, the one journalist allowed in the room for the discussion suggests finding America's former Olympic champion who set the curling world on fire as a 20-year-old in the 2020s before he flamed out dramatically and no one knows where to find him. However, this journalist is also his ex-girlfriend and knows exactly where he is. She is then dispatched to his cabin in the remote woods of Minnesota to find him and convince him to return to curling and save humanity. A training montage and moment where the curler and journalist reconnect and he reveals the secret to reading curling ice that only he was ever able to figure out later. Our hero curler leads three other younger and diverse curlers into their battle on the ice against the aliens. Late in the game, our big curling hero recognizes changes in the ice that the aliens don't and he is able to lead the big comeback victory that saves humanity. As everyone rushes onto the ice to lift him onto their shoulders and celebrate, the aliens reveal that they were lying the entire time and they're going to kill us anyway. Roll for it. <laughs> That's a nice twist ending. I like that. <laughs> That's my M. Night ending. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so um, if you were if you were to cast it, like if you had anyone to cast, mm -hmm. who would be your hero? 
Oh, I did not have time to think about this. Um, <laughs> so it's got to be someone. Someone like mid, relatively young, right? Someone Maybe like 40s? mid, yeah, mid 40s, early mm -hmm. 50s, or someone who's older who can play mid 40s to, to early 50s. Um, <laughs> right, right. Uh, how about Paul Rudd? Paul Rudd. I love their Paul Rudd. Yeah. He's great in everything. So <laughs> and, and ageless. Yes, yeah, absolutely. He could be any age. Mm -hmm. That's great. So okay. So what did what does um does anyone else has anything to add to this one or or is it perfect just the way it is? Perfect the way it is. Is it is it Space Jam but for curling? No, because the aliens aren't stealing anyone's abilities. They're just they're just going to straight up beat us at at all. All right. Okay. So what's the what's the um the alien point of view here? Like what what are they trying to do? Are they just tr trying to are they just trying to play with the humans? Is it like they're playing with their food sort of thing? Or what's the? They're going to take like, all of our resources. They're going to take all our resources. Yeah. And is yeah. They, and they want to just destroy the planet, like they're going to kill all the humans? Is that the, their plan? Or are they just going to colonize the planet with the humans around? And We're going to be killed eventually, but not before we are used as labor to help harvest all of, all of okay. our resources for the aliens. I love that. But, okay, but what is the point of the, the ending if everyone's just going to die? Like... Doesn't that mean that the previous two hours of the curling competition has been utterly meaningless? Yep. <laughs> so Sean brings up a good point, I think. <laughs> I, although I, I do like the, the, the twist ending and that um, the aliens are going to double cross. Um, it's uh, like narratively that's there's going to be a problem unless you have like... <laughs> Unless there's a like, like it really depends because you said this is kind of this is a comedy, right? So yes. having having a comedy end like that, I think is perfectly fine, as long as the tone is kind of leads you to that point by the end. Um, and yeah, we so, can okay. we can keep it ridiculous. My well, my question was, what's so funny about this? What makes it a comedy? Like I said, we just keep it ridiculous throughout the whole thing. Like basically just make fun of all the tropes as we go through this. So so when you have a uh, an antagonist who is sort of like overblown evil, it's, it's a Dr. Evil style mm -hmm. uh, of level of evil like the aliens are, right? So uh, their motivations are purely made up. Uh, it doesn't come from anywhere real. Uh, but they're, it, it's so ridiculous that they think they're, they have delusions of grandeur. Is that uh, kind of a fair way to put it? They're basically, they're basically like the big floating heads from Rick and Morty. I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if I'm the only one who's ever seen those episodes. <laughs> yeah. I don't, are they like um, uh, Kratos and like from The Simpsons? Like those? Yeah, Kang and Kodos. Yeah, the end. Yeah. The end. The end is very much a don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. That's great. And so, do they do they present themselves like that, or they do they ever look human? 
That's but a good question. Playing, how are we playing curling? I guess is the the biggest thing. <laughs> I mean, basically, I mean that's that's the part that I haven't yet decided on. Like, do we do we make them shape shifters? I mean, really, that's going to depend. A lot of that is going to depend on the budget, right? Like, mm-hmm. if we don't have the budget to make them look like some ridiculous being, then we're just going to have to say, oh, we're shape shifters who are taking on a human form as we as we go through this process of colonizing. We'll make them like. Alien robots, make them Curly the Robot. Yeah, curly the Robot has to be involved. Yeah. In the now. A team of four Curly the Robots. Yeah. <laughs> who is I mean, the face? Who is the face thing with Curly be to, to have them shapeshift as? Like, so we cast Curlers as shapeshifting aliens. Who are the funniest four Curlers to pick as the shapeshifters? The shapeshifting aliens. Yeah. Because, uh, like, uh, Darren Moldane uh, immediately comes to mind for me. <laughs> <laughs> See, my first thought was Rachel Holman, but yeah, <laughs> my first my first thought was Russ, Russ Howard. That'd be a pretty scary team: Darren Holman, Rachel Holman, <laughs> and Russ Howard. That'd be good. <laughs> I don't know who like seems who like seems like they're kind of alien like. <laughs> Maybe Brendan Botcher, very sour. Yeah. Botcher. Like the, all the skips kind of seem a bit like, you know, you're not sure. They could wear contact lenses that change uh, the shape of their eye yeah. so that they look like aliens. Or is it the aliens can take over the bodies of curlers? No, because that's Space Jam. Not the ability to take over their bodies. Also, Paul, yeah, that's also, that's, I mean, yeah, that's a classic sci-fi trope. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then it is like celebrity curlers are possessed. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I so like listen to the idea. I think generally speaking, your comedy will probably come a lot from the aliens. So you you would need to inject personality into them of some kind. Like you would need to have to like their motivations would have to be ridiculous. I think and I think that's where you were going anyway. So if they're they they had ridiculous motivations all the time and um, you know, a lot of times when you see an alien in a human body or even just an alien living in human society, they don't, the, the uh, fish out of water kind of thing where they don't understand what our society is like. Well, what makes them pick, is it them, the aliens that pick curling or is it the humans that get to pick whatever game they want? No, the aliens randomly selected. And uh, my, my thought on that was I remember SNL did this um, when they, uh, SNL did kind of a play on the the whatever of the century back when uh, back in 1999, and they came up to their their tournament of uh, of uh, people of the 20th century uh, came up with um, like Gandhi versus Moses Malone, and they said that the computer randomly selected one aspect to compare the two and uh, the computer randomly selected basketball or no, it was, no, it was Daryl Dawkins, Daryl Dawkins and Gandhi and the computer randomly selected basketball. So Daryl Dawkins was the, the greatest human of the 20th century. <laughs> I like it. It's good. That's great. Okay. So I think it's safe to say that the budget level would be too high. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know what? It, it depends. Cause I, I, as you were, um, I've seen a I, lot of cheap sci-fi. Yeah. Exactly. As you were describing <laughs> it, I was like, you could do this for cheaper. I mean, especially if the human, if the aliens looked more human, 
um, with little alien aspects to them. You could believe it. And if it was done, you know, when you described uh, the reporter girlfriend going into the forest and finding this guy in a cabin, you know, alone, I could almost imagine the beginning of the film where this happens, where this person's going looking for this person and he's cut off from society and doesn't know anything that's going on. And she opens the door and he's like, oh, you're here. And she says, you need to save us and play curling for the planet, you know, right mm -hmm. away that that starts off in kind of a, uh, I think, a funny way. So Smash cut to curl that way. <laughs> Part of this is just I've seen so many poorly done sports movies and so much poorly done sci-fi and watched so much MST3K that I kind of just just hot smashed the two. <laughs> I think it works. And you, I, I think there is a way you could make this for less money. Um, oh, you can definitely make it for less money. Yeah. <laughs> it, doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like special effects is a big, you're not going to see them destroy the planet or maybe at the very end, you see them like a couple of shots of their, uh, their invasion. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, I think you could do it. Um, okay, so uh, what, what you, you have a title for this, uh, this great film? Well, Third Rock from the Sun is Taken. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really the only thing I got. You can call it uh, Third Rock from the Button. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. I, uh, I come up with all the names for our uh, podcast episodes, by the way. Oh, gee. <laughs> the talent. I, well, I, I'll tell you, finding a title is a really hard thing. I, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out a title for a, a script. So. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. But we'll call it the, uh, the Untitled Ryan McGee Project. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So, Jonathan, do you have an idea? I mean, oh, oh, so mine, I'll just pick up on the one we did this last time. So mine's basically, it's shamelessly a ripoff of The Big Lebowski. Right? Okay. And so like, the, the motivation for that is um, every time I watch The Big Lebowski, the, the, the bowling team dynamics are exactly like the dynamics of every curling team I've ever played on. Okay. So, so um, basically, so basically the premise is, so instead of three people, you have four. Uh, so like they're the kind of the protagonists. So mm -hmm. there's the dude type player who's like the, the hippie type. Mm -hmm. There'll be a MAGA type who will be the skip, but like actually the dude's the best shooter. He's like the third. So he's like the best shooter on the team. He's the star player on the team, but he's too chill to skip. Uh, obviously a pothead. Uh, the skip's kind of a definitely like a. I'm not sure if it's set in Canada, you'd have to play around with it a bit. But the idea is he's like a MAGA type, like super rageaholic, kind of super bossy, over domineering. And it's their dynamic that's kind of part of the comedy. Then the second on the team is kind of like the chilled out player guy. So he's like a ladies man, he's a motorbike instructor, Aikido dojo owner. So he's like the, the slick guy. And the lead is works for either the IRS or Revenue Canada as like a gambling tax, uh, tax attorney. So super geeky guy. And this becomes relevant in a second. So the bad guys, so mm -hmm. there's basically two. So basically, there's a guy who is the, uh, he's based off ads that played in Minneapolis in the early 2000s, who is like this middle-aged dude with his very young wife, always uh, advertised a jacuzzi. So she was always in a bikini in like the Minneapolis, it's called the Midwest Jacuzzi King. 
Okay. So it's basically shamelessly ripped off him. And it's That's fine. Him and his his significantly younger lady is the the bunny character basically. And then there's the gang who have, I haven't really figured out who the the gang is, like what their orientation is. But the basic setup is um, the the gang. It's a case of mistaken identity also because the dude guy looks like the j Jacuzzi King, and he always gets teased about that. He's out. And a couple of toughs from the gang take his curling bag because they think it's the money to pay off to get back the Jacuzzi King's girlfriend. And so that's the setup for the movie. And so the, the dude character basically needs to spend the movie getting back his lucky curling shoes. And that's his primary motivation because they're playing in the club championships. And so the first, basically before the case of mistaken identity, you see that he's the star player. They win the, the round of 16, draw to the quarterfinals. Right, so he's missing his curling shoes. Hmm. Most of the drama happens up to the quarterfinals where he's missing his curling shoes, they play terribly, and the big drama is their nemesis team is in the semifinals, right? And so the, the plot points aren't all super worked out, but basically the, the motivation is to try to get the curling shoes back, whereas the gang thinks he has the money, and the Jacuzzi King wants them to help him give the money to the other guy to get the handoff, right? So it's the kind of mm -hmm. classic Lebowski plot. And so it gets resolved by a big standoff in the parking lot between the gang, the nemesis curling team, and uh, and them. And the whole point is that the IRS guy is trying to work on identifying Jacuzzi King for tax evasion for all his gambling debts. And so that kind of and so that brings in one angle. The Aikido guy is trying to protect them when there's a fight. So part of the premise of Aikido is it's, it's you don't start the fight, so you're a bit chilled backwards, but you can kill anyone. So the Aikido guy is there to try to protect them when the gang and the rival curling team comes in. So he gets killed by the gang protecting them, but the dude gets his shoes back, so he's able to then win the semifinals, and that's the resolution. But they lose their Without second. this second guy, isn't that guy, is he missing? Yeah, he's dead. No, he dies. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to play three-handed, but they end up winning. Okay. <laughs> so he's the sacrifice for them to get the shoes back. So that's the, the, the real plot's about the curling, but it's film noir, you know. So that, that's the kind of basic premise. So that's uh, that sounds great. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Big Lebowski, so anything that's connected to that is something that I will like. Yeah. Um, is there a way that the twist at the end is the Jacuzzi King's lady is who subs in as their fourth player? Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> so maybe can you expand? Okay, the Jacuzzi guy. Yeah, Jacuzzi is, kid. So his um his wife, I I didn't maybe I didn't hear this. Was she is she kidnapped or something? Yeah. So yeah. she's okay. kidnapped. So the setup is the Jacuzzi King's wife or whatever. She's like twenty something, and he's right. middle aged, right? So and they're on TV. So she's been kidnapped because he's racked up a huge gambling debt. So that's okay. his problem. Hence the lead is the the guy who's investigating him for tax evasion due to his gambling debts. Right. Right. So. That's that's kind of how it also loops them in. And so the gang thinks that he's the guy there to hand off the bag with the money. And then in the, ha and in the handoff, it gets confused. So he actually ends up with the money at the exchange, the, the curling guy. The curling guy. They have okay. his shoes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he has that. his shoes. Okay. And the jacuzzi guy is after him for the money, as is the gang. And all he really wants is his curling shoes back. And the, the gang obviously doesn't care about the curling shoes. So the curling shoes just kind of go on their own adventure as they try to track it back. Well, he's got this big bag of money. And so the Walter types always try to pers persuade him to play really hard. 
like kind of, you know, you got to be very aggressive. You got the money. Why don't you, you know, use that to get your leverage? Whereas the Aikido guy is trying to tell him to, you know, play it straight, right? So that's like kind of tension too. What do you do with this bag of, let's say, a million dollars? But all you really want is your curling shoes. And is there anyone on his team? I like so I like that motivation. But is anyone on his team just want to keep the money? Like, do they ever? <laughs> is, is there ever that part? Right? Like, I mean, if you if you got a bad, I don't know. Let me ask this question to yeah. you four. But it's like if yeah. you could if you could trade your lucky curling shoes for a bag full of a million dollars, yeah. what would be your response? You know, what would you yeah. do? So I think I think the Walter type wants to do that, but the problem is you've got two gangs that are you've like the Jacuzzi King guy and the gang going after them for the money, right? Right. So yeah, that's, is there that's, that's what stops them from pocketing it. Right. Is there any point um, in the film, and maybe a, this is just straight t- taking stuff from um, the Gobaski, but is there any point where um, the bag of money goes missing? Ah, uh, that'd be good. Like, so like they're also chasing the money and the, the shoes. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause what you have right now is you have a plot where you have a character. I mean, you have, you have characters who have the thing that each other wants, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not like the, the mechanics of them getting together and trading that it shouldn't be that complicated, but yeah. if you separate the things, mm-hmm. right? So it's like one of them doesn't have the shoes and one of them doesn't have the money yeah. for whatever reason, then that might add to the story. Okay, yeah, so that's a good point. So in my mind, the, the bigger plot twist was the shoes going missing, which is absurd, right? Because no one's going to care about curling shoes. Yeah, but I, they kind of keep going on like more and more things because it's his lucky shoes. He really needs them. And the point is the second game, they suck. He sucks, right? right. So that's his, he, he's got to get his shoes back. But yeah, obviously the money could also go missing too. So they got to get the money to get the shoes back too. And part of it's that they're torn between the two people who are both fighting for the money right so the jacuzzi king guy's like just give me the money back and i'll give you your shoes i'll even give you a cut whereas the other guys like um you know give us the money or else we'll we'll kill you or whatever right so right yeah yeah that's not that sounds good and then if if um you've got these shoes i mean you get a lot of comedy from him wanting the shoes right because yeah. they're a ridiculous want i think there's a lot of comedy there that it's where he's obsessed with it i don't know like where it goes i mean that you figure out another day <laughs> but it's like yeah. you know it, it going missing is is interesting as well as the money i i think figuring out where both of those things end up yeah like what because it's it's sort of the hijinks of where they go in this kind of film where yeah it where, you know the money gets you know somebody gets it somebody takes some of the money out and like you know all, all the things that can happen to that bag of a million dollars compared yeah. to all the things that can happen to the shoes and where he, you know, they end up going, especially, yeah, I mean, he, he could just throw those shoes away. Yeah. Right at the beginning, and they've got to, you know, where does it? Got to go find them, yeah. Got to go find them, you know, the bag, yeah. the bag got thrown in a dumpster, and the dumpster went there, and then yeah. some found them, and, you know, so there there's, can be a lot there. Yeah. So that's good. Um, that's a good idea. I like it. Yeah, this. I like it. I like it. That's a great idea, John. All right, so I have. Oh, uh, sorry, what are we calling this one? Oh yeah, what's your title, John? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you got to think of a title. <laughs> you call it the uh, Jacuzzi King, right? Jacuzzi King, yeah. Jacuzzi King. <laughs> Midwest Jacuzzi King, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'll give you mine. This is a, my real one. I won't. Uh, we can talk about my trilogy idea later, but here's my real idea 
for the prestige film, the uh, curling film that I think could potentially work. Maybe we'll see. So uh, we open in small town Canada. We don't identify where that I think is going to be important. We don't identify specifically where we are in the country. And we see a, a family of uh, Syrian refugees arriving at their new home. And the family is a mother, a father, and three teenage daughters who arrive in this small town. And we see them getting set up and uh, trying to get used to uh, the, the weather because it's the middle of the winter. And then we cut to the local curling club, which is a two-sheet curling club, and they're having their annual meeting. And it's uh, pointed out that one of the women's teams has to withdraw from the league in the middle of the season, and they need a team so that they can continue with the season. Otherwise, the women's league would have to shut down. And somebody says, well, here are the, the new family just arrived, and there's four women in the family. Maybe that could be the new team. And we see a lot of resistance in the meeting from pretty much everybody in the club to say, like, no, we don't want them as part of the club. But then somebody gets up and says, well, do you want to play or not? And then you have that like fun silent moment where nobody has anything to say. And then so we cut to uh, somebody going, asking the women if they want to play. And they sort of have to get talked into it with the motivation for them being that this could be an opportunity for them to integrate themselves and get to know people into the community, but also to help them learn the language. And this can be in either French Canada or English Canada doesn't matter to me. So uh, we see them go and start to play and they're, they're not doing particularly well, but the mother was a, a soccer player and her strategy that she's going to pull from her experience as a soccer player is to just put the all the rocks on the button. That's all they're gonna do. They're not gonna try any other shots, just all the rocks on the button with her motivation being in soccer, you just shoot on the goal. Like, that's what you do. That's what you're trying to do. So we're just going to put all of our rocks on the button. And they start to win. And this gets them a lot of hate from the other people in the club. And uh, there's a lot of pushback from the other people who feels that they're not playing the right way. They're, you know, not, not being properly respectful of the sport. And how dare they come in and win these games. And then we see a moment where the father is watching and he's really proud. And he overhears some other people at the club talking bad about this family and you know what are they doing and then we get to the end of the year and through a montage of course and then we are at the end of the season and it is the final of the the league and uh, the team has made it into the final and uh, it comes down to the last rock and it's the the mother who is the skip who's throwing it uh, and she has a draw right on the button to win and you just see the the shock and the rest of the on the rest of the members of the the club and that sort of that victory though puts them into the larger regional competition and so we go from the the club to the regional competition where in this regional competition they actually get support from the people who are there so they come from this club where they've been pushed back against the whole time of people who, who don't think that they should be there to this larger area, this larger competition where they get a lot of support. There's actually crowds and the crowds get behind them. 
And through the week of this competition, their, their confidence grows and grows and grows. And they feel like, oh, this is part of, you know, our, our, our family now. This is our sport. And they eventually, we see them in the final. They make a great shot on their last one. But the other team makes a better shot and they, they lose. But they get cheered off the ice. And uh, they feel as though, uh, you know, this whole thing was worth it. And everything was great now. And we see them all embrace at the end. So that is the idea, sort of the story of how the, the family uses the sport to not only become acclimatized to Canada, but they adapt the sport to themselves. And so we see this melding of uh, their culture, their approach to things, and a traditional Canadian sport. That's the That's idea. Great. So, Sean, this is cool runnings, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not funny. This is prestige. Oh, okay. <laughs> prestige. It's, it's serious. I was going to say it's it's Hoosiers. It's Hoosiers. <laughs> yeah, it's classic sports. Uh... All stories are the same. So, so you, yeah. you guys would be okay. able to explain this to me, be, me being a non-curling person. Is it is it uh, realistic that a group of people that didn't know the sport at all could rise even in a local level and then rise to this, what, like what you're describing? I would say unlikely. But I think that like there'd have to be a strong emphasis on the strategy side. You yeah. Know, what they're doing strategically is so much is so innovative and so much better than what the rest of the teams are doing. That even if they're not as skilled because they're new to the sport, right? What they've figured out strategically puts them at such a an advantage. Mm -hmm. Do you know what money, this is, Ryan? Level. Yeah, this this actually happened out of the Oklahoma Curling Club. This is exactly like Jesse's girls. Remember this? Oh yeah at the first arena net. So we had, um, so, so basically I, I told you about the wild amigo, the, the strategy we invented for arena curling. No. So it's basically when I started playing arena ice, it's so terrible. You can't play normal strategy. So we basically would just throw draws like all the time. Cause that's all you can play. Cause you can't play an open hit. Cause you can miss by like a lot. So we got, so my, my joke was I'd throw, call seven draws and I'd try something ridiculous on my last. So we, we called it seven draws and a run back and you'd either score five or give up five. Right. So, so we were playing in the, the U S arena nationals the first year, the women's team was not that experienced at all. And Ron Conlon, who played with us, just told them just draw everything like all the time. And it actually got people got really upset at it, right? Like actually, <laughs> yeah, there was one game they're in the semifinals and they're they're up three and they're calling draw 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 and they ended up stealing because they got one locked in as all junk. And but the umpire was so upset, he's like, you can't do that. <laughs> and they, they got all the they ended up winning the bronze that year. So it it actually does work as like for a novice team, right? Hmm. So you they can say bronze, it's based right? on based on a true story. One consolation. <laughs> Consolation of it, but they won something. Like, but by all rights, they shouldn't have won because they were they were like first year curlers playing. Even even Arena Nats has like good teams playing in it, right? So it's yeah. like first year curlers like won by just playing this very unorthodox yeah. strategy, right? Ron, yeah, there were people. Ron would, would go between each game room. and say draw, draw, draw. What? Sorry, right? Yeah, there were people in the warm room like yelling at them, and obviously you can't hear in the warm room, but like just yelling at glass, "What are you doing?" And then you have Jonathan and I sitting next to them just cackling. <laughs> so this works. So this is an it actual, works. an actual yeah. thing that it's it's not just an invention. 
that people no. would get it. Not only would it work, but that people could get upset about it too. I think people mm -hmm. would. I think I think I think I personally think that's a really good strategy for a club player to play. Personally, but because yeah. on, so on arena ice, on would arena they be more ice, upset? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, on arena ice, when you call just all draws, like guards will just magically happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you're right, Faz. To answer your question, yeah, people get very. I mean, you see this in all sports, right? Whenever someone comes along with like an extreme, innovative strategy, people get upset about it, right? Yeah. They'll like, oh, it's ruining yeah. the game or whatever, right? It's, so, it's Moneyball, right? Moneyball. Uh, right. Moneyball. Yeah, mm -hmm. but but what I I think would be interesting about this as a storytelling technique, as Ryan is, has to leave us, um, is the idea of of not belonging. And the new yeah. strategy representing to the community that these that the family lives in that the that it further others them yeah. in the larger story. So yeah. uh, you know, curling is really important to the community, and here are these people who are not respecting that, and it just further sets yeah. them aside as they are new yeah. to the community. Right. It has to be out west. It has to be Saskatchewan or like one of the no, hidden. We don't know. We don't say where it is, so as to oh, not okay. make so as to not make anybody across the country mad. Uh, Right. <laughs> well, so, that's so a kind of like strategy. I would say it. The specificity helps sometimes. Hmm. Like if you yeah. know, um, I mean, for any kind of story, especially if that's something that you know about. I don't know if that's where you're from or something. But if if there's a community that you know a lot about um, because you've been part of that community or for whatever reason, if you tell a story. Um, from that community's point of view, I think that's that that can usually help you. Like it usually helps, especially in a pitch. You could say, "I know what this is like." You know, Jonathan says, "Oh, this happened to me." Yeah. <laughs> like I was, you know, I, this same kind of situation happened. That's actually that usually yeah. helps. Yeah. Um, I'll say about the idea itself, which I, I mean, I like the idea in general. The like it's compelling. I think I maybe we should work on the like what the antagonists are so you're you're talking about a community they need people and so they let's bring these people in it sounds i mean at the beginning it sounds a little um like is it just p like pure racism that they don't want the, to like that the people don't want to bring them into this into the you know yeah, bring so, the team in? yeah so it's like the it, sort of that refrain that you hear from certain quarters when people are talking about refugees that they're, they're right. scared of violence or, um, you know, that they're not Christian or like all those things that are lobbied against refugees, mm. like unfairly, mm -hmm. uh, that that is what comes out at this meeting. Okay. So I, th yeah. I think that can be good. I feel like the best, like, I think that for me, I'll say, you know, from my perspective, the scariest racist is the racist that doesn't present as a racist. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like if you have that kind of situation where um, somebody is against them joining but isn't out like outright about the reasoning, I think that that can be, you know, like there's that that can bring more, especially if it's from the these the, the Syrian family's perspective. Like they don't understand why they're why this is happening. Why are they asking them to join? But then there's this, you know, they're probably feeling something while they're in there. I think um, also your the progression. You probably need someone to be won over. Mm -hmm. So you you have um, like you have the story and it's from the family's perspective.
but they're sort of just beating everything. Even at the end, even though they lose, they're still beating something, right? And I feel like that's not quite enough for your story that they need to um, they need to prove their worth to someone else, right? So, um, you know, it's it sounds like they win this competition in their regional or not the regional, sorry, the um, like the small uh, town that they're in, um, and people are still mad at them. But if there are people who who then kind of join their cause, like kind of get won over, I think that you you have a story where. Like there, you have a coming together story, which generally, like, it sounds like that's what you're making, right? It's like you're right. making a, a mm. film in which um, people are separated. There's misunderstanding and uh, miscommunication between the two groups, mm-hmm. and and it could go both ways as well, right? I mean, there can be there can be um, like anger between the like the family and, and other people for whatever reasons you can create as the narrative's going on. And then they can be one, like some can be won over. And you have others that, you know, you always have that villain that's never won over that doesn't like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, ah, then because you need that shot of a, the villain being angry after they win, you know? <laughs> what if, uh, what if you had the sort of old timey coach that, you know, sees them, playing this strategy at the club a couple times and thinks I can really do something with this team. Mm. Uh, I, I don't want to take agency away from the mm-hmm. uh, oppressed group, uh, but having somebody that can come in and implement these unorthodox strategies and, and sort of maybe instead of having them play in the league, put them in the bond spiel, right? Have, have somebody be the one that recognizes the talent and furthers uh, their quest, I guess. Yeah, it's a bit like when you said draw everything, it made me think of like Karate Kid and like Mr. Miyagi, like giving, right? right? Like giving some like insight, right? So maybe if you had like somebody older in the club who maybe like he he did the draw style, but it's been like shaken away as like, you know, everyone wants to play a run back now, right? So like somebody in the club's like, basically the Robin Silvernagel type, like I'm going to run back everything kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that's, she's not necessarily the bad person, but it's like, she's seen as the star in the club and this person, this new team's playing a different style and also taking away a bit of that thunder. Maybe that's part of what's going on. Maybe somebody who's like the past president who everyone's like, Oh, that, that guy's, uh, you know, he's done. He's got yeah. kooky ideas. He, you know, he just sits in his house, mothballs all yeah. around. Yeah, of whatever strategy is coming from the team. I think the team should be the one that implements the strategy, yeah. but then the, uh, the sort of... He sees it. He sees yeah. it and starts helping them, right? He's like, oh, I see what you're doing, and here's why it works. Everyone else is mocking them, but he's yeah. actually like, no, keep doing it. Here's why I'll help you a bit more, right? So maybe, and, maybe it's something like that where it's... And and that, that person is the one that, you know, f- furthers them along because without... Without them, they wouldn't enter, you know, a yeah. larger event. Okay. Well, okay. What about this? So, yeah. if part of the thing is the trying to maybe the hidden racism, the the deal in the league is whoever wins the league, this this person will pay for it. And as they're having the meeting, someone says, "Well, what what happens if they win? Will you still pay for them?" And the person just goes they're never going to win. It's not an issue. Like we don't have to worry about them. Uh, and then they win. We see this person have to then come around, like comes around to the idea of 
maintaining that sponsorship. Uh, and then that's the person who ultimately supports them and then shows up at the bigger event and hears some of the comments of the crowd, of some of the crowd, of like, who do these people think they are? And then there's a light bulb moment for that person about how they weren't welcoming to this family by seeing it happen elsewhere. And they, they come to be the, the main cheerleader for the team. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that also sounds good. So it's yeah. it's two things, right? You're you're talking about a coach or this it's yeah, is I don't it think both of those people would be in it, or is it only one or the other? I think one or the other. Okay. So it's like the owner that wants to sell the team, uh, but gets won over by his scrappy group of underdogs. Yeah. 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 Who initially he didn't like dismisses them. Yeah. Doesn't think they're hurt. Yeah. 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 And now they're being taken seriously. Yeah. Mm, okay. Okay. Great. All right. So do you want to hear my trilogy idea? Trilogy. <laughs> trilogy. <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, I do. Also, I think that could like fit in like that idea if you wanted to like make it into other ones. So the first year they go to this regional thing, the next year they go to the provincials. Uh, and then the national championship, and then eventually the Olympics or something. Like if, if right, you, you could pick that the next. Sounds step. like right. a series. Mm. Yeah, driving a series. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, so Sean, what's the uh, name? What's the name of this? The title of this movie? Uh oh. Making a house a home. Oh, I like that. Okay. okay. We follow their sort of overall story of coming to the country and. Yeah. Find a home in the community. Um, all right. So uh, my trilogy idea, this is a Hallmark movie trilogy. Well, it's not really a trilogy. It's three movies in one night <laughs> that would run back to back. <laughs> uh, and because the Hallmark channel runs Christmas movies 360 mm -hmm. days a year, uh, they're Christmas movies, of course. So the night would be advertised as Curl Up to Christmas. And in the first movie... We have a mixed doubles team, and we see them uh, go, and they win an Olympic medal. That's how it starts. But as they're embracing, we have a close-up on the woman's face, and she's not fully happy in this moment. And cuts to seven months later, whatever it is, and she goes home for Christmas, and she goes to the curling club, and Scott, you seem excited about this. I think she's <laughs> pregnant. No, she's not. She, uh -huh. she goes, she plays in like a charity event at the club where she grew up, and she gets paired with her high school boyfriend, who is now a widower. And uh, we see them, and they reconnect, and they have a great time, and they go for a drink, and everything's amazing and then because there's a storm coming in she decides to go home a day early and she goes home and she's she's married to her mixed doubles partner um goes home and oh no he's having an affair so she's really upset and crushed and like her life she wasn't super happy anyway and now this so she goes back home for christmas and her high school boyfriend who he they just reconnected shows up to her parents' house on Christmas Eve with roses. They go out to the gazebo in back, and they embrace, and they get together. And the title of that one is 
uh, house is where the heart is. Okay. <laughs> so that's the first one. And then you go to the second one, mm -hmm. which is uh, a film that, based, that follows the basic plot of the Pina Colada song. <laughs> so we have uh, a married couple who are at a curling bond spiel, but they're not fully satisfied with uh, their relationship. And they both go onto a dating app to find another partner while they're at the curling bond spiel. And they, um, and we see flashbacks to why they're not happy. We see them talking with their team of, oh, should I actually do this? Should I not do this? And they uh, eventually go on the app, they find, an anonymous person to meet and they meet and it's them and they fully embrace and everything's great. And then they go out and they win the bond spiel together. Uh, and that's how that ends. And that one is called love on the rocks. I want, I want you to start from the beginning for that one. Just, yeah. <laughs> just repeat, like give, give me a pitch it again, just uh, if you can. Okay. So we open on uh, a couple that's packing uh, to go to a bond spiel. Okay. So they're in their house, but they're kind of bickering and arguing with each other as they're packing. And uh, so we see that they're not fully satisfied and invested in the relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. And then we we see them travel to the bond spiel and it's a not a pleasant experience. They get to the bond spiel and they start to they start to play and it's not going well. They're really frustrated with each other. Uh, and so they decide to not sit together afterwards in the lounge while they have mm. drinks. And as they're sitting with other people, they each have a really good time. They, they're having fun again. Mm -hmm. Everything's great. Maybe a and we see flashbacks where uh, one of them says, you know, back in the day, this is what curling was all about. And so we get, go back to their origin story of how they met at a curling club uh, mm. at a box field like this. Uh, and then we see the other one say, you know, when things were really good, this is what we lived for. This is what we all, this is always what we wanted. And then we flash to, you know, they just got married and they're winning bond spiels and they're having a great time. Mm. And so they both realize in the moment, like how unhappy they are. And then they both have teammates say, hey, why don't you look at this? Uh, and it's like a curling dating app, basically. Mm. Uh, that you can meet up with other curlers and we see them hum and haw about like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Uh, and then they go out, say the next morning, play the game and get completely crushed because they're not focused. And they're, again, we see them bickering and that's the last straw for both of them. So they mm -hmm. both after the game sign into the, to the app and put in what they want in a partner and what they're interested in. And they unknowingly match with each other. Mm. And then they, uh, they're like, all right, we'll meet for lunch somewhere. And then they both go and they arrive at the restaurant. They realize that they've matched with each other. They're like, oh my God. And then they have this great lunch where they reconnect, talk about everything that's gone wrong, why it's gone wrong, you know, the communication we need. And they, they just, you know, fall in love again over this. And then they go back to the club together, rejuvenated, excited. Uh, and they go in and they just run through the rest of the teams because now they're invested again and right. they mm. win, win the bond spiel. Okay, great. Thank you. 
Sorry, I, I lost a bit of that at the beginning, so it mm -hmm. might have been just my mind was, <laughs> was floating away. So now I got it. Great, thank you. And so that one's called Love on the Rocks. Sean, that sounds to me like it could be a really good short. I would, yeah. all right, my note's this. All right, have you seen Adam's Rib? It's like classic 1940s uh, romantic comedy. It's like Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn. And so the premise is they're lawyers and they, they're lawyers, they're married together at the beginning, they get pulled apart, and then they kind of both consider other partners and then come back together again. So same plot as yours. Right. The triggering point, though, is because they're both lawyers, they take opposite sides in a divorce case. And so I would, I, the, 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 I would throw in the twist that somehow initially it starts as a bit of tension. They then decide to sign up with other partners in the mixed doubles competition. And then that's the thing that triggers them to go on the dating app. Okay. What, what and then the dating app is what brings them back together again. So the, the inciting incident, they have a big argument over what strategy to do on yeah. the last end of their game together. They yeah. vehemently disagree, split ways for yeah. Bonspiel. Yeah. Then and it's, the rest. And it's kind of the guy's a bit arrogant. He's a bit like, well, you should just listen to me because I'm whatever. And she's like, I don't need you, so I'll go off on my own. He's like, well, fine, I'll get whoever. But it's not that they become romantically involved with their partners. That then triggers the dating app. Right. But that triggers the... Does that make but sense then, or not? But then how do you get... I like the idea of them reuniting and then like going on this run. Yeah, but they could be multiple tournaments, right? It'd be like... Yeah, flash forward two years and they're winning a gold yeah. medal. Yeah, but to me, what would make it interesting is that part of the trigger, he's a bit arrogant and dismissive of her as a partner. Right. They they break up. She gets a partner. She beats him in the tournament. And that, for him, is like he, his pride can't take it. He then goes off the dating app, and then so does she. And then they come back together. Then they kind of reunite and win something, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think Jonathan's bringing up a, a really good point in that, you know, the characters, like what their personalities really make a big difference. And this, especially this kind of story, you're talking about like a pair and what their chemistry is and how it breaks down. And um, I think it's a good idea to have them broken. And also, I think, Scott, maybe you said that it sounds like a short. And mm -hmm. I think, I mean, so far, the two ideas that you have brought up in this trilogy, they both, although this one is a bit longer, they both sound like short films as opposed to a feature, just because there isn't a... And that might be just because we're, you know, playing around here. <laughs> but, uh, mm -hmm. but like, like usually a feature film will have a, a lot more story, you know, like right. there'll be a lot going on. But mm. that doesn't mean to say that you can't, like this basic story can't be a feature film. It would just be fleshed out a little. Fleshed bit. out. Yeah, yeah. you just got to flush it out. Yeah. Uh, all right. And then the last one that I have in, my, in this sort of three part is this is a coming of age story. So we see, we open with uh, uh, a kid being dropped off at college by his parents. And uh, they leave. And as soon as they leave, he starts to unpack. And we see uh, he has like a rainbow T-shirt or a rainbow logo on something, maybe a binder or something. Uh, so, so that's sort of the indication that he's gay. And then we see that he goes to the curling club and he's, uh, he meets a, a sophomore or a junior there who's like the head of the curling club at the at the school. And they start to talking and the the older one says, oh, like oh, I also play in this rainbow league. 
this rainbow curling league. And, uh, but the younger, the, the freshman hasn't come out yet, especially to his parents who are conservative and don't really approve of that. Um, and so we see through the course of the semester, the two of them become really good friends. Uh, and the freshman is really struggling with uh, his sexuality and he wants to come out, but he doesn't know how to. And the older one um, is trying to encourage him to be open and to be honest and it's okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. They have a, uh, then they have a little romantic moment, but the younger one's like, no, I can't do this. It's wrong. And they have a big blow up about it right before Christmas break uh, at the last curling night of the, the semester. And they, uh, and then we see the younger one, he's back at home over Christmas and uh, his parents, they, that news story comes on about uh, same-sex marriage and he sees their, and his parents are like, oh, that's so wrong. Like, how can people do this? This is terrible. And we've seen this building tension in him throughout the whole story so far. And he just blurts out, well, that's me. And like, I'm gay. And, and his parents are stunned and they don't know what to say. Uh, and he's like, well, if you can't take it, then like, I don't want to be here. And he leaves and he goes to the other guy's house uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, knocks on the door. Uh, oh, and they, he sees him and he just runs in and he kisses him. And, uh, and that's that. And they're kissing in the snow. And that's the end of the movie. Very Hallmark. I like it. Yes. I also oh, like not- it. It's also, it is short. So again, the, like the storyline. Okay, here's a question for you. Uh, do you think that this film is a, is this film a love story or is it a coming out story? I think it's probably more of a coming out story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if that's the case, I kind of want to I want to know and see more um, like more scenes and more story between uh, the, the main character and his parents. Right. Because right. it's like because right now it sounds like he's mostly at university, which is, as we all know, it, I mean, it's usually a place where you can be you for the first time in your life. Right. It's like usually high school. You're I mean, you're young and you're trying to figure things out. And college is a place where many people figure out who they are and and then become that, you know, become the person that they will be or probably will be for the rest of their lives. So um, but there's not there's not as much conflict there. Right. It's like if if the parents are nearby or if there's some kind of, like, I'm not feeling that quite yet, even though it's a very compelling story. Like the idea is compelling. It's just like, what is, what kind of, of um, obstacles along the way is, you know, is this character going through? Cause right when you described it, I, I thought, okay, this is really great, great story. It almost felt as though the, um, like the running out of his parents' house was the, end of the first act kind of idea but, right it's like you know he fight he, he makes a decision but that decision will has will reverberate right in his life like when you make that kind of decision it's a big thing so um like what what will be the reverberations almost is a is an interesting thing maybe it's a starting off point for you is right. the is the struggle uh the the man versus self struggle or is it man versus man like the guy versus his parents or is it more of an internal thing that uh, builds throughout that first act. Well, yeah, I, I sort of would see it as like the internal struggle first. As so like, the, th- the sort of like, oh, I should do- be doing this to fit in, but it doesn't really yeah. feel like me. 
Yeah, and then we see him get comfortable with himself mm. through the friendship with the other person. Um, and then, yeah, and then it's sort of, he can't take sort of his parents anymore mm. because he's now okay with himself for the first time in his life. Okay. And so he has to express that. Uh, and yeah, maybe the next step after that is he, he plays in the Rainbow League and he becomes really successful. And, um, and as his parents see that, maybe they show up eventually to a game, right? And mm. patching the relationship or trying to, uh, and then they show up and support him as he plays in this league in a big game or something. Hmm. That totally. I like it. That's great. There's a trilogy, your Hallmark trilogy. Yeah, that one's called. <laughs> Wait, that? Uh, yeah. that one. That one's called. Um, no more guards. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Yeah. So that's. Uh, so those are just sort of like yeah, they're crumbs of ideas. Okay. So mm -hmm. fully fleshed out ideas. They're great. Oh, what was the one? Um, oh, houses where the heart is is the first one, right? Yeah. Okay. That's right. Maybe it should be the house is where the heart is. Yeah, the house. The house. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so those are just sort of three crimes of idea. I, I do think, though, that in all, I think, like you said at the start, Faisal, that hmm. the relationships have to be front and center as opposed to necessarily the curling. That the curling is the conduit through which the relationships progress i guess yeah mm. absolutely i mean so with all of these ideas and like they're all interesting and i can see films being made of all of them honestly it's um but it's it is really who those characters are is what really makes um makes the story interesting um you know if we go back to the first one um you you know who is it about it's about this it, you know you can start talking about the idea about um, you know, the aliens coming down and then they create this tournament or they, they say, we're going to pick a game and then they create this tournament and then they, the humans have to pick who are, you know, who's going to represent the species, but who's the story really about? It's about this kind of crotchety guy, ex um, curler who has cut himself out off from society, who gets a visit from his ex-girlfriend who tells him that he needs to curl the game of his life to save the human race. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like that's mm -hmm. that's the story. Yeah. And right. so yeah. figuring out who um, who that guy is and like why he doesn't want to curl anymore. Maybe why like why is he why is he living in a cabin away from people? Like cause mm -hmm. he hates people, I guess. Like, or, you know, I mean, there's lots of reasons to be in a forest by yourself. But let's say <laughs> one of them could be that he just doesn't like people anymore. So does he actually care? That the, or, you know that these aliens have come and are going to destroy yeah. the society and all like there's lots of kind of ways that you mm. can build on that on these ideas and then you know Jonathan's idea with the jacuzzi the jacuzzi king you know who are the like I mean you know you're basing it on a uh, on a film that's a touchstone for many people so like there yeah. there's that right so you've got yeah. that you understand who the dude is like immediately yeah. and is is he like is it a direct um, a direct mirror of that film or is he like is there a a dude version that would be different for curling like i don't know what that you know if you can think of something that would be prototypical maybe from that world as opposed to yeah world. i don't know if that it, maybe it's exactly the same as you say well it kind of depends on where it's set so when i was 
dreaming it up, I kind of set it in St. Paul just because uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So, Again, and then something I, you know. Yeah, something right. I know, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're doing it in Canada, it, I think it would have to be like, I don't think it would work in Toronto. It, it'd have to be like mid sized city, I right. think. Right, like maybe Calgary or something. It can't be like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. It's got to be kind of a bit uh, like, like like Thunder Bay. I think would be Thunder Bay, right? So the the because part of the joke with the the Midwest Jacuzzi King is he's he thinks he's this massive big shot. Right, so he's like a Donald Trump type, right? But he's right. like Midwest and selling jacuzzis, right? So he's he's not all that big, right? So part of the right. jokes the like this big fish, so big fish small pond kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So. The dude too's got to be—he's got to be a slacker of that area, but not. I don't think it should be beat for beat. Um, the dude from the, the the big Lebowski, but the dynamic that's interesting to me is um, is you've got this kind of really conservative, reactionary, overbearing type, and then this kind of laid-back type B slacker type is kind of like the the back end of the team, right? As the bowling thing, that's probably propelling the bowling thing but then it's also propelling how they respond to this like absurd plot with the money and that you know right because part of what makes the big Lebowski work is the dudes just like kind of bumbling through with like you know like hey i'll just go see the i'll just go see the businessman and ask for one of his uh one of his rugs back right so hmm. he's gonna kind of play it like that whereas the the walter type's got to be like you be really aggressive Whereas in my mind, the IRS type would be the law-abiding one, like, oh, we should call the police, we should whatever, right? So he's torn between, like, the devil and the angel kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? And he's because he's, he's, he's a slacker, he's not, he's kind of amoral, right? He's just like, ah, you know, wow. unable to make a decision. So he's, he's more like a victim of circumstance than, like, leading, leading the situation. So that's kind of what I see, that's kind of the motivation, right? Right. And I think for that for that idea, the like that interaction, just what you were describing between all of the different characters and how they kind of oppose each other in a way. They maybe they're friends, but maybe they're they have you know they have arguments, right? I mean that would yeah. bring the drama and the the, the humor. Yeah. Like I think that that's what's kind of the key to making it good. Is you yeah. want to make that film good? Okay, well these characters need to be at each other's throats, or they need to be yeah. have a really good chemistry or whatever, right? Something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, so that's great. So that you can see that's also the characters. And then with the trilogy, I mean, all of this, all of them, especially because, you know, we are describing them as being a bit shorter. Um, and, and don't take that as a, as a, a criticism at all. It's, you know, a, a, a short is sometimes harder to make than, um, than a feature film. Mm -hmm. Um, so having like a compelling story told in, you know, a 15 to 30 minute, um, piece can be really, really hard. And and still the same thing. You can take that 30 minute piece and expand it and flush it out. And it could be easily a feature, you know, depending on the idea. Like sometimes it's right. just a, a short, it's just a crumb of an idea and it's good that it is. But, um, but all of these ideas I could be, I could see expanded. So your house is where the heart is um, with this woman getting cheated on. And then she gets together with her, her ex-boyfriend from high school. I think, so I, I, have you watched any of these, um, <laughs> these uh, Hallmark uh, Christmas movies? Have you seen any of them? I've seen one, and I've been told that if you've seen one, you've seen them all. It's, that is a very <laughs> comment. I think they are very, very – I've seen a few. Um, I, I have a bit of a tradition with some of my friends to sit, uh, sit around and watch at least one of them um, and make fun of them as they're going on because they are yeah. – 
pretty hysterical. <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, they can be just mindless entertainment. So I think um, with that one, I totally see it, but it's, um, you have her, like the, the inciting part is she, you have her winning this medal and then she gets cheated on and then she goes back to her hometown, right? Like she goes back to her hometown. She meets the the boyfriend. If that, well, if I, no, she she wins, but we see that she's not fully like excited about the win, right? Uh, her partner, who she's playing with, she doesn't really like him, and they're the they're married. Um, so like it's not as winning that wasn't as fulfilling as she wanted it to be, right? Uh, she when she goes home for this charity thing. Uh, and her ex-boyfriend used to be her partner, and she left. She stopped playing with him so that she would have the chance to win the gold medal. Oh, I see. So he's a curler as well. The, yeah. the ex-boyfriend is also a curler. Okay, I didn't get that okay. uh, originally. So I think, like, I like this idea, but I feel like again, it because to expand it, um, it sounds like like this that you know she wins, she che- uh, she finds out that this guy's cheating, and she kind of leaves. Um, and for other reasons too, because she's not really satisfied with him. I mean, I would probably like just hearing it like that. I feel like maybe she shouldn't win at the beginning, or like there, there's you know there's some other thing going wrong. Maybe a little mirroring your other idea with the couple. I mean, I could see these two <laughs> ideas melding in certain ways. Um, the couple that doesn't get along, and you don't you know they're they're playing and they're not good together. Maybe they were good at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's cheating and she's, you know, very sad. These movies, the Hallmark movies is what I'm thinking. Usually it's this woman, not usually, a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> it is a, um, it is a romantic comedy about a woman who, um, is a city person, like is, is into the big life who goes to her small town and then, and falls in love with the, the local guy who understands the, the small town values and decides to stay there, right? I mean, that's that's the law every single time. And there, there's the there's the fiance or the ex-husband or something from the big city who's trying to come back. And so what maybe your story needs as well is like, I, I don't really understand what the ex-boyfriend, is he trying, or not the ex-boyfriend, sorry, the, the husband or the current partner, if he's trying to win her over, because there needs to be a push and pull right? Mm-hmm. It's like, there's no drama unless there's a push and pull. And especially if there isn't even the guise of there being a decision that she needs to make. I mean, we all know who she's going to pick in the end, <laughs> but it's the, but it's the, the journey that's going to give us something. So having the boy, the boyfriend who cheated on her come back and he's trying to win her over and maybe has some compelling arguments. Yeah. You know, that that probably will help your story a little bit. And then and explaining what those compelling arguments might be, you know, like what's mm. what's going on, what's drawing her, what's keeping her in the small town, uh what's, you know, there's obviously like if it's if it's where she grew up, there's family and you know, f- friends mm. and su- su- such there as well. So what's good about that, but also what what has bothered her about that? Like why did she leave? What bo- you know, what made her yeah. Right. to leave that small town um has it changed has her perspective and of course it is has his perspective changed as she's been gone away are the things that she used to think were hokey now she thinks are charming you know and how how does that progress mm-hmm. um yeah anyways those are some some thoughts for you to to build on that one and then the last one 
uh, kid being dropped off. Oh, so this, yeah. So we, I think we've talked a lot about that. But I think who the kid is and who are, the parents are, and also who the love interest is. I think that those are all like very interesting mm -hmm. things to kind of build on. Like what makes you you described it, but it was it's in big terms, right? It's like the 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 MAGA family who are um, you know do not want their their son is it their only son to be they can't believe that he could be gay and they're they're pushing him towards one life that he doesn't want to live and then but he it's in a way it's the opposite right and often yeah. i feel like these stories um the um the coming out stories they often are the opposite stories they're they are a, a kid from a small place that are that is opening their eyes to a bigger world and then and as a such they are learning more about themselves and in this case they're coming out and living that life so it's a you know small kid going to a big city as opposed to the big city girl going back to her hometown right so it's, it is uh it is a cross they're they're crossing paths there yeah. so that's great i mean i so I, so like i said i i love these ideas they're all like it all depends on your um, your characters and building on them. Mm -hmm. So if you had to pick uh, one of the ideas mm -hmm. for me to write up and submit to the National Film Board, which one do you think would get me in the least amount of trouble? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got to say, for, I mean, there's no trouble in creating an idea, um, even if it's if it's big and unrealistic or if it's not something that somebody wants to make. It, as long as it's a compelling idea, I think that that's, it is worthy of making, you know, at least mm -hmm. that first step. So, okay. Um, let me think. So, okay. Well, first, I'm going to um, first say, generally speaking, the NFB, um, they, and I, I, I mentioned this to Jonathan in, a, in an earlier conversation, but the NFB generally, they don't make feature films, like feature drama films anymore. They used to. Right. They like back in the 70s and the 60s, certainly um, they they had their hands in that that kind of in that genre, um, but but very much now, like in today's world, they generally don't. They might um, they might give a little bit of a support of support here and there, um, depending on who the filmmaker is, and um, it, like they have a few programs to give a, some small support to to features feature drama. Um, but generally, they like what they do. Their mainstay, and it has been since their creation, is documentary, right? So um, that's the main thing they do. But they also put money into short films, uh, whether they be dramatic or or um, or fiction. Uh, sorry, dramatic or or a uh, documentary or animation. And animation is a big thing that they do as well. Mm. And none of you had any animation ideas. Very disappointed about that, I got to say. But, mm. <laughs> but, but, um, but it, I, although I could imagine, you know, maybe the that first one that Ryan had could be, I think so. you know, could yeah. be an animation. So I thought of it as basically Space Jam. So like if the aliens were cartoons, <laughs> right? Yeah. The, the humans were still live action. Would that work? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I could imagine something like that. Um, and in fact, in a way, as a short, that's a, that's a pretty great idea. Like the you know just the the basic concept of it sounds funny. I think it's very easy to convey that it's funny. Yeah. Um, just the ludicrousness of the idea itself. Like it just and if you say as Jonathan says, if it's a bit of a back and forth um, between animation and and uh, real life, I think that would be yeah. cool. 
So that's and if you good. get like celebrity curlers to play the team, that was kind of why I was like going with Space Jam. So it's like that's yeah, the yeah. Space Jam's like Michael Jordan, like all the good basketball players in the nineties, right? Right, right, exactly. So that's good. Um, so, oh, so okay. Now, us, let's take Anafi out of the equation just for the the time being. So you yeah. mentioned the beginning when we were talking. You were saying, oh, just just a film that's kind of realistic to be made. Um, I could. Let's see. It's always, it's always hard picking something on the foot without thinking about it too much. But, <laughs> right, right. Um, but like I could see, okay, so like that first one. I mean, I like, like I said, I like all these ideas. I can see um, them all fitting into this budget. Now, the, the one with the family like the Syrian family um, coming in, I can see that being made um, as an idea. I think that it would require um, it would require collaboration with that community, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, the the sole the sole like producer writer of it could not be Sean Graham. Uh, <laughs> that one hundred percent would not work. Uh, yeah. yeah. So like I like that idea. It's and it it certainly it it could have legs. It's um you know and it's something. It's a I mean it's a subject of of immigration, which is something close to my heart anyway. Um. So I really like the idea of that. Um. But yeah, it would have to be there'd have to be some kind of a if you were to ever pitch that, you would have to be, oh, I'm working with this person yeah. that's, yeah. you know, that is um, either from that community or understands the community really well. Um, I, you know, because obviously you understand curling, so you can come from that world and you can come from the world of maybe the town that they're, you know, that they're coming in. Mm -hmm. But but someone would have to be connected, especially in Canada. Thankfully, th that is being um, pushed a lot more than it has been in the past. In the past, anybody could make any film and um, although I believe anybody can write anything, I think, especially for a story like this, you need community involvement. So, um, so that's really good. And I, like, and then like Jonathan's Jacuzzi King idea, I really love because it's like the Big Lebowski. I think it needs to be expanded a little bit more in terms mm. of like how those characters are, are, um, are interacting and how, yeah. you know, cause it can't just be. The, the problem with it, it's like one of the strengths is that it is the big Lebowski and that, that yeah. is the touchstone, but it's also a detriment because yeah. it, it, you need to be like, how is it different from the big Lebowski, you know? And, yeah. um, and that needs to be quite clear. Like what is the, um, what, I can't remember in the big Lebowski, what town are they in? Like what's They're city? in LA. They're in LA. So the, the, the things that I like about it, like love about the big like the two things I really love about the big Lebowski it's actually one of the lines right it's the voiceover guys like when it when it pans in it's like there's always a man of a time right it's it's very explicitly Los Angeles 1991 right, right? and it's like they're playing off of uh, the the Gulf War and it's right. like part of it's that um uh, that works for me is that it's like, here's this guy who used to be in the Students for Democratic Society, super left wing, and he's kind of become aimless. And basically, Walter, like the, every time I watch it, I become more convinced Walter is basically like proto Tea Party, proto MAGA, right? It's, mm -hmm. you can kind of, it's, it's a boomer flick, and it's like super clear which way this generation's going, right? And like part right. of, like in some ways, they actually just read the cultural politics of the boomer generation really well. They start off as these hippies. 
Mm-hmm. That's kind of in descent right. by 91, and it becomes this, like, reactionary thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think part of, like, yeah, I, I don't want to just recreate the Big Lebowski, but part of what I like from that is that it's set in a place and a time in the recent past, and the characters are kind of touching cultural touchstones, too. So right. that's kind of like, you know, I think it would depend. If it's for an NFB one, you couldn't set it in St. Paul in, say, the 2010s or something. But no. Um, but you could you could have uh, maybe a millennial who hasn't been able to uh, move out of their parents' house. Yeah. You know, as that kind of slacker of modern days. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I think it's like you you steal the trope, but yeah, I think by moving the place and the time, I think that mm-hmm. affects it a bit. And then I I don't think the plot. Well, first of all, the Big Lebowski's plots like, I've watched it so many times, I just don't think I understand it. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's quite complex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So I think yeah, I agree. It, it could. I don't think it could just be like Big Lebowski on ice, but mm-hmm. in a certain sense, they're they're kind of stealing from this like classic film noir get-ups too right where it's like there's right there's something you've got to get <laughs> and the bowling's kind of incidental so i kind of i kind of like that mm-hmm. that uh, that part of it too right yeah absolutely i mean you would never describe i don't think you would describe the big lebowski as a bowling film like a no, film I don't about, think... it's not a film about bowling i mean you know it's a film it's it has bowling yeah. as a big part of it but it's not yeah. a bowling film exactly it's not but it's kind it's kind of like the inspiration for me is actually every time I watch it, I'm like, it is a bowling. Like someone, someone involved in the writing had to have been on a bowling team or been involved enough in bowling to kind of capture the, like all of it, just like yeah. all the, you know, the right. bad teams in the leagues, league politics, like the funniest thing of, you know, the whole, I don't roll on Shabazz part, right. Where it's like someone's people playing shenanigans in club leagues. It's just like, that's like right mm-hmm. out of curling club culture too. Right. I'm sure you've had, have you ever had uh a dodgy ruling by the match committee chairman in your yeah, life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think, I think there's a lot of like stuff that can be borrowed from that too, to, to drive the plot, but not, it can't just be like a re- recreating note for note, the big Lebowski plot. I agree with yeah. that for sure. Mm-hmm. So one thing I've learned today is mm-hmm. that uh, characters are really what matters when it comes to films. It's, you can have a storyline, uh, but if you don't have good characters to go along with that, uh, you're not going to have a good film. Is that uh, kind of that's a hundred percent true? It's mm. you know it's funny because we um we, you have to think of both. Obviously, a good film has both mm-hmm. a good storyline, you know, good structure, and has interesting, compelling characters. But um, a movie that has a really good story, so a really good um like let's say a, a even a, a mystery or a thriller or something like that that has um you know an intricate plot but the characters are one note or they are you know not very compelling that film in the end people are like oh well it was interesting i i kind of you know i liked it but they, they won't mm. love it like generally speaking you won't love a film unless you really you don't have to identify with them you just need to think the characters are interesting right you're like right. Wow, mm-hmm. I really liked watching that person do that thing, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Because and, and it has to do obviously an actor's bringing a lot to that, but it, yeah. but that's you know that's going to come in the writing as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, okay, so let me see. I'm I'm kind of going around about trying to answer your question. I think um, okay. So of all of the ideas, if you're pitching 
Um, if you are pitching the NFB, I would say the first one. So the Space Jam. The Space Jam one. Cool. Um, because it's it's sort of absurd. It's interesting. There's a like I think you've got there's a story there that you can be built. Like you have to, I mean, obviously work on how you pitch that story. And how, pitching is a whole other podcast. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, how you how you pitch uh, a compelling story um, to them. I, like you should look up uh, things like log lines, which are basically one or two sentence uh, descriptions of what your film is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then make it for whatever ideas. I mean, if you're ever playing around by yourself and you're like, oh, I want to think of a film idea, that's a good way to think of an idea. It's it's how do you tell the story in two lines that give um, that gives the person who's hearing it an understanding enough um, that they understand what the movie's about. Even they don't need to understand everything, but they under, they're like, I get that movie, and they can be excited mm-hmm. by it, and they can be interested in it, and they can get a taste of you of the characters as well in that. Yeah. In the- Cool. So that's and uh, that's if you're sending a tweet, it's actually a good example, right? So a tweet's generally that long. Like, so if you're able to if you're able to compress the idea down to a tweet, it's probably a pretty good logline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for if again, it's to the audience. Who's the audience? The NFB. They can kind of do this. You know, they do animation and and uh, live action. And I think that they it can be compelling now. None of you are animators, as far as I know, so that might be a hard, yeah. a hard sell. But yeah, I mean, as an idea, you can you can bring it up, and there's you can always uh, hire animators. Um, I think that that one's good. It also I can imagine it being shorter, right? Yeah. So it's like that idea itself. It could, it's it's another one of these ideas where it could be really long, or it can be like I can see it as a really funny short. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she comes to his place and tells him that it's going to go on, then we cut to. He's training, and then he's doing this competition. In the end, the the aliens end up destroying the planet anyway. <laughs> um, so so that one uh, I can see working, and um, and then the ideas at the end as shorts could mm-hmm. could also work, right? So um, I think what would be the best one? Maybe the last. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, but like so the the one about the you know the coming out story or love story whatever you end up landing on um, would probably be the ones that I would I would send to the NFB because if they feel like they feel like films that they could be involved in in some way. Um, but and and we're trying to say this realistically, right? It's a like realistically um, the NFB is generally speaking not going to get involved in. Um, in feature films, like I said before, um, but they might get in, involved in a short. And if they're excited by something and think it's fun, like NFB, mm. they have leeway, right? So it's like if they think yeah. something's fun and interesting and could actually, you know, it's coming from Canadians and they're they're interested in um, in supporting that, they might um, as long as they may say, well, you need to find half of the funding somewhere else, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Um, which is it's more likely that they would say something like that. So, okay, that's that. Those are my answers. Is those two? I think the other ideas are really compelling and interesting and maybe um, worth exploring, but um, but maybe not to the NFB. Like maybe that they're bigger. They they feel like bigger ideas that would be mm. you would need to you would need to be pitching somewhere else um, to see them get made. If Great. you like, if you or. Uh, 
someone else who's a screenwriting professional who actually knows how the business works and what to do. Mm -hmm. Out of the ideas that were presented, would would you, I don't want to use the word steal, but I will. Mm -hmm. uh, would you <laughs> steal any of those ideas? Are any of them worth a professional like developing further? Um, I think, well, I, I mean, like I said, I could see films being made, but if you're asking me personally, I'm going to probably say the, um, you're making a house a home idea uh, with the the Syrian family, and that's um, that's probably because I'm coming from that perspective. A lot of the things that I've made have been about immigration, have been about um, either documented or undocumented immigrants, and uh, and what it means to be a Canadian but from another place. So that you know when you pitch that idea originally, it's gonna like that'll interest me right away. Like there's no doubt that that'll interest me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably where I would go. I, pro I like for me and coming from where, what I know, like the things that I know, I don't know anything about curling. Um, so it wouldn't come, it wouldn't, uh, or like very little. <laughs> and so I, um, I wouldn't think of that. That doesn't mean I wouldn't write a film about it because all the time we, we write about things we don't know about all the time. Um, but it, I find it compelling. Like it's an interesting idea. I would I would need to know. I'd need to see kind of examples of people, um, from maybe not necessarily that community or maybe the Muslim community. Like my family's like half of my family's Muslim as well, so that interests me for that perspective. Um, and so, um, I'd be interested to see what the real examples of people from that community joining your community and I, now, I don't know I mean my um my outsider's point of view about curling it feels very white now you can correct me if yeah. I'm wrong but it yeah. feels like a very very white yeah thing. yeah for sure, sure and so I think that like that's in, that's always interesting right it's like a a group of people who aren't white like people who are not white entering a world that has been predominantly if not exclusively white um and that's like that that is all that that'll be compelling no matter what um right. so yeah there you go awesome well uh yeah. well we really appreciate this Faisal. this has been a lot of fun uh yeah. tell people where they can find some of your stuff uh scott sent along uh some of your titles here that uh, that you've worked on but wh where can people watch some of the stuff that you've written Absolutely. So um, I um, I recently, well, somewhat recently, wrote um, an episode and worked on the, sh the show called Endlings. It's a half an hour sci-fi kid show um, about a bunch of kids who uh, come upon an alien that is trying to save the last um, the last samples of species. So when species are going extinct, mm -hmm. it tries to find those animals and kind of protect them. Um, so it's a, it was a fun series to work on. I wrote an episode in the second season, um, which is on um, CBC and Hulu. So the uh, second season hasn't been released yet. The first season is, though, and you can watch it. It's great, um, especially if you've got kids. It's a great show to watch with kids. Um, and so it, you can find that in the States and Hulu and Canada. It's on CBC, and I think it's on CBC Gem here in Canada as well. Um, and then before that, I was on a show called Ransom, which is a, it's on CBS and it's on CBS All Access. If you're on, if you're in the United States and Canada, it was on Global. Um, and I believe it's on their streaming uh, platform, but I 
I could be wrong. I haven't seen it. And you can, it can be uh, purchased as well on iTunes, et cetera, and so on. So yeah, those are the two last things I've worked on. I'm, wor I'm working on a bunch of things, but they're not made yet. So can't really talk about them too much. <laughs> totally fair. And uh, just and in general, watch Canadian stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Actually, if I'm going to plug something, a friend of mine has a show called Trickster, um, which mm. she's a runner of. And it just came out yesterday, and you should watch it. It's a great show. Um, it takes place in the in, in like an indigenous community. It's an indigenous lead, um, and it's getting a lot of really good reviews around the world. So it's it's excellent. It's on CBC Gem, and everyone should go see it. Is oh. that uh, based on the book Son of Trickster? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, that's on my uh, table to read. Oh, so. Excellent. There you go. Thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon. <laughs>